My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, and blood support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly crop gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within the veil. Well, it is good to have you here this morning here in the room in Bellingham. Those of you in Skagit, thanks for joining us today. And just want to say what a joy it was uh, to be with some of your newer folks this last Wednesday night at Inside Cornwall. I uh, just had a, a phenomenal time with them. Those of you in Boca Raton, glad you've joined. Or those watching online right now with the live stream, uh, thanks for being a part of this as we continue in this series on hope. Yesterday, I was talking with my father-in-law, and he said, what's your homily? He always calls it a homily. He's Catholic. He says, what's your homily about this weekend? I said, well, I'm talking about hope, and he proceeded to tell me about a little place in Arizona. He and Marianne go to Arizona every, uh, every winter, a little place about 40 miles east of Quartzsite. You can't really call this a town. You can't even call it a burg. It's a junction, and it's called Hope, and in this junction, really, I mean, there's an RV park, a gas station, one church, and an antique store. And as you enter into this little, this little junction in the road, it's called Hope. It says, you know, now entering Hope. And then a, a few hundred feet later, there's this sign. <laughs> Notice anything odd about the spelling on this sign, which to me makes it even funnier. They can't even spell in this little town. You're now beyond Hope. And maybe they're trying to say it's a personal thing. It's very possessive. It's, it's yours now. But they're saying, on your way out, you're, you're now beyond hope. And there, chances are there have been times that maybe you've felt that way. Man, I'm beyond hope. And what we've been looking at over these last weeks is that the Bible and God says, no, just the opposite. I want you to be anchored in hope, that you're never beyond hope, because we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice as we trust in his holy name. May his unfailing love be with us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. In 1970, our family moved to Vancouver, Washington, and I was a, a young guy and grew up in, in grade school there. Vancouver is in Clark County here in Washington. In Clark County, there's a, a college called Clark College. The junior high, we didn't have middle schools in those days, the junior high I went to was Lewis Junior High, and uh, across the river, the only professional team close was the Portland Trail Blazers, and so I grew up immersed in this whole thing of Lewis and Clark, the expedition, the Trail Blazers that they were, Sacagawea. We talked about this all the time, not only Washington state history, but the history of the United States, and we were right there where they had come through Lewis and Clark in this expedition back 1800, whatever, five, seven, eight, I don't, that part I don't remember. But um, in, uh, in Stephen Ambrose's book, Undaunted Courage, he talks, the whole book is about the Lewis and Clark expedition. 
And that after two years of, of a very difficult uh, journey, where there had been incredible hardships uh, in the journey, they'd experienced not only heat, but cold, uh, hunger, near starvation to the point where they were even uh, killing one of their ponies to eat it at one point in their, in their journey. They had uh, come up against unbelievable physical fatigue and exhaustion. The, their men, had some of them had deserted them. They were constantly in a state of low morale. It was not an easy journey. Don't ever let anyone romanticize it. It was very, very difficult. They had illness, even death. And they got to the continental divide in this journey, had been traveling for two years. And the best information that they had received was after the Continental Divide, there'll be a short walk, maybe as short as a half a day walk down a gentle slope to which you will find the headwaters of the Columbia River. And at that point, you'll be able to just cruise on out to the Pacific Ocean. As they got to the Continental Divide after two years, two very, very difficult years, they camped there at the, the Continental Divide. And Meriwether Lewis, it's reported, uh, hiked up to the bluffs to look at where they were going. And as he's hiking up to the bluffs, leaving the camp and the men behind, he's fully anticipating, fully expecting, fully believing, fully hoping to see a gentle slope, a half a day's journey down to the headwaters of the Columbia River. And maybe if it was a clear day, clear day, who knows, maybe even be able to see the Pacific Ocean. And as he got up onto that bluff, he was met with not a picture of a gentle slope to the headwaters of the Columbia. He was met with a scene of the Rocky Mountains. And you can imagine what happened to him in that moment. The discouragement, the feeling of hopelessness, not only for him, but he has to go back down and tell the men, no, it's not what we thought. And that they would battle through another three months through this treacherous Rocky Mountain Pass. And it's reported that they decided, Lewis and Clark decided, we would rather die than go back. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a, a season in your life where you feel like you're hoping something and then you're met with the Rocky Mountains. And it's in those seasons when you have to decide, will I cave at this point? Will I give up? Or, or will, I, will I continue on? Will I forge forward? Will I, will I just give in to despair or will I, will I rise up in hope? In these seasons when we decide, what am I going to do? How am I going to face this? In those moments, we are desperately in need of a hope that is deep, a hope that we can sink, sink the anchor of our souls into so that we don't despair and don't give up. And today I want to talk about that. Today I want to talk about the determination of hope. And I don't want to get too sidetracked on, on uh, uh, just semantics or, or muddy the waters with definitions. But when you look at the word determination, there's really two ways that you can use that word. One of them is in the whole thing of resoluteness, and the other one is an outcome. And, and both of them are accurate. The, the idea of determination as a resoluteness, where there's this, this you know, purposeful, uh, persistent, steely determination. I'm resolute on this. Unwavering, unswerving, unshakable, that I will continue on with this. That, that there's this, this, almost this stubbornness, a tenacity, that kind of a determination. But determination can also be looked at as an outcome. You know, that this will determine the outcome. This will govern it. This will influence it. This will, this will decide it. And while both of those are independent, they're also interrelated, especially when we talk about hope and the determination of hope, the resoluteness of our hope, and the outcome of our hope, 
the determination of our hope. See, one of the problems that, that we allow in our lives is that sometimes we will allow, or maybe we believe, we will allow the circumstances, the rocky mountains of our life, to determine our hope. We get to some circumstance, some situation that's difficult where we want to cave in and we just say, oh, it must be hopeless. In this situation, in this circumstance, in this season of life, we hear this sign that says, you're beyond hope now. And at that moment, you need to look straight into that sign and say, you can't even spell you're right. Don't tell me about my hope or my future. Because our circumstances do not determine our hope. We determine our hope and what we do with that hope determines how we will see, how we will view, how we will respond to the Rocky Mountains in our lives. Years ago, there was a man um, named Daniel Goleman, he, uh, a, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and an author, wrote uh, many books, but one of them was Emotional Intelligence. And this is what he says about hope in, in the arena of emotional intelligence and psychology. He said, from the perspective of emotional intelligence, Having hope means that one will not give in to overwhelming anxiety, a defeatist attitude, or depression in the face of difficult challenges or setbacks. Indeed, people who are hopeful evidence less depression than others as they maneuver through life in pursuit of their goals. They're less anxious in general and have fewer emotional distresses. He's saying, listen, people of hope the way they approach life, the way that they confront issues, the way that they, they um, have this determination in the midst of the Rocky Mountains, if you have hope, it changes everything. And whether we decide on despair or hope, it really is our choice. Now, this isn't just psychology that we want to talk about, because this is what God's Word says. The verse that we've looked at several times out of Romans chapter 15 says, May the God of hope, he is a God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we have a God of hope and we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we know, Jesus is the anchor of our hope. He is the anchor of the hope for our souls. That we have this. And we talked about uh, Timothy Keller's definition of hope being a, a, a life-shaping certainty of a believed-in future. That something that we, not an uncertainty, not like we're kind of wishful thinking, something that we know as a matter of fact that hasn't happened yet but will happen changes how we live in the here and now. So the hope is for now and for then. And when Paul writes to, to this church, the Colossian church, he commends them for the way they're living their life. He says, your, your faith in Jesus is just flourishing. It's just thriving. It's an example. It's beautiful. And not only that, but the way that you love other people, the way that you extend this love, this new commandment that Jesus gave to us, it's amazing. And he commends them for their faith and their love, how they're living their life. And then he says this to them, the faith and the love that you have, the faith in you and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth. The way you are living it comes out of this hope that you have. It's a, it's a life-shaping certainty of a believed-in future. And it springs up. It doesn't, doesn't just kind of drain out. It springs up of this life because of this hope that we have of the someday and the hope that we've already heard about to know. And, and here's the amazing thing. And, and this is truly freeing. We have a God of hope. We are given hope by the power of the Holy Spirit 
Jesus is our anchor of hope. And with all of those resources available to us, they're all there. God, hope. So understand that my hope, with all this available, my hope is my responsibility. And really, that's freeing because if you get in this fatalistic view that, well, there are some people that are more hopeful than others, and some have it just naturally, and maybe I just don't, you feel like I can never be hopeful. That's not the case. Remember last week, we looked at the sons of Korah and that, that psalm that they wrote when they, when they said, listen, man, whatever rocky mountains they were facing, it, talking to themselves, why am I so downcast? Why am I filled with so much despair? Why, why do I have this within me? And then he just talks to him himself, and he just says, no, no, no. You put your hope in God. Rejoice in God. Put your hope in God. You decide on this one. Put your hope in God. In Psalm 147, we read these words. The Lord delights in those who fear him, those who revere him, those who worship him, honor him, respect him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. The Lord delights those who choose, who decide, who determine, I am going to have hope, and I'm going to put my hope in the Lord. Now, I'm always hesitant to use, um, to use illustrations that could be taken as a blanket endorsement, but I'm going to do one today. I, um, I'm going to refer to a movie, and this is not a blanket endorsement saying this is something you ought to show at family night with all your kids, whatever. Some of you have seen the, the old movie, The Shawshank Redemption. In The Shawshank Redemption, there are two main characters, one played by Morgan Freeman, the other one by Tim Robbins. And these guys are in prison. And Morgan Freeman makes some statements. He says things like this. I wish I had a Morgan Freeman voice because that's just so cool. I'm stuck with braces and can hardly say Jesus without sounding goofy. Morgan Freeman says, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can break your heart. And so his character for the majority of this movie, he he manages disappointment in his life. He manages the circumstances of seeming hopelessness by giving up hope, by not getting his hopes up, by not having hope. Tim Robbins, on the other hand, same circumstances, same situation. He realizes that to stop hoping is to start dying. And so he keeps hope alive. He maintains hope, and he holds on to it. We understand this. We understand that, that there's a God of hope, there's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us hope, that Jesus is our anchor of our hope, and that we get, to, we get to decide it's our responsibility. We begin to understand that my hope is a daily choice. It, it's what we talked about all of last weekend, these habits of hope, that every day we focus on the source of our hope, we focus on Jesus. Every day we, have a, we cultivate a mind that is dominated with the truth of God's word, that every day that we direct in our despair, we direct our, our attention towards God and to worship him, to see his goodness and his greatness. Little side note on that one. This Wednesday night in this room we will be having refuge, and I want to encourage you to come together as, as a community of hope. We practice this habit of hope that we will be worshiping God, that we'll be lifting up the name of Jesus. We will remember the sacrifice that he made as we take communion together to be a part of that on Wednesday night. That we can choose this every single day. It's a daily decision to allow us to be overflowing with hope. Now, Victor Frankl, who was a, um, a Holocaust survivor, again, wrote uh, some incredible books. Uh, 
the classic was, is uh, Man's Search for Meaning, which is an amazing book. I, I would recommend that you read the first half of that book, the second half if you're a psych major. Most of us, the second half just doesn't do it for us. But that first half is, is a story of his life and surviving these concentration camps. And one of the things that he discovered about what it was that allowed some people to survive and even thrive in the most horrific situations in the concentration camps with you know, the death march and all these things was the presence or the absence of hope. When a prisoner would lose hope, they would lose their life. But the prisoners that held on to hope, they would continue to live and they would continue even to thrive at times. And he says that while his captors took away all of the freedoms, the ultimate freedom they could not take from him. And that was his choice of the posture of his heart, the hope that he would have. Now, as we've been discovering in this series, the key to biblical hope, the, the key to this kind of a, a Christian hope is that it's not just what we hope for, but who we hope in. Because everything we hope for will eventually disappoint us. But the one that we hope in, Jesus, will never disappoint us. You say, okay, well, Bob, can that, can that, you know, can that hold up to the biggest Rocky Mountains we ever face? I mean, we're talking life rattling, faith shaking, darkness closing in. I don't even know if there's a God kind of circumstances and situations. Well, maybe let's take the darkest one that we've ever seen maybe in, in biblical history. And, and what I find interesting is this has been a part of the human struggle from the very beginning. Most scholars believe that the oldest book in the Bible is not Genesis. It's actually Job. And, and many of you know the story of Job. Job has everything stripped from him. Everything you could ever hope for, he's had and it's taken away. You hope for a successful career, he had it and then it was taken away. You hope for financial security and maybe even be wealthy, he had it and it was taken away. You hope for a wonderful uh, home filled with children and great children, he had that and they were taken away. You hope for a great marriage, he had that and then it kind of implies it got a little rough. I mean, she said, curse God and die. Don't put that on an anniversary card, it's not good for your marriage. <laughs> you hope for a you know, long life of health, he had it and it was taken away. Everything he hoped for was taken away from him. And then he says these words in Job chapter 13. Though he slay me, even if he takes my very life, yet will I hope in him. Everything he had hoped for had disappointed him, had been taken away. The only thing he has left, even though it seems like he's against him, is the one he hopes in. One more little side note on Job, because I think so many times in Christian circles we get this idea that we're going through these hard times and we ought to just say, you know, praise the Lord anyhow. Job grieved deeply his losses. He was racked with sorrow. He wept bitterly. He was angry. He questioned God. This whole idea that you go through these losses or times of suffering or difficulties and you're supposed to just pretend like it's not a big deal, it is a big deal. It is okay to grieve. Grieve well. 
It is okay to be sorrowful. It is okay to, to ask God and, 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 and to have your doubts and your questions. It's okay in the midst of all that to remain hopeful. Paul writes, I don't want you to grieve like men who'd have no hope. He's not saying don't grieve. He's saying we don't grieve hopelessly. We grieve, and we grieve well, and we grieve deep. But in the midst of that grief, we continue to have hope. That's determination. And that's the determination of hope. Today, in the remainder of our time, I want to look at a passage of Scripture. And if you have your Bible, your tablet, your phone, you want to follow along, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. Some of you are aware that we spent the entire summer in Romans. You're saying we're already going back to it. Almost every week this summer, we said, man, there's so much in here. That we're over, going over to the top so much, we can't cover it all. So now I'm backtracking and going to go into a, a few of the verses that we had to skip over this summer. Romans chapter 5. Now, if you remember in Romans, and I was going to quiz you, but I, I wasn't sure if my ego could handle how you answered the quiz, because <laughs> maybe you don't remember anything I ever say, which is fine. But if you remember, if you remember, Paul starts us off and he, with this good news that there's a righteousness, there's a right standing, there's a good enough for God that comes. Whoa! I love you. There's a righteousness that comes from God and by faith. You did remember. It's an amazing, amazing thing that it's not something we did. It's from God and we receive it by faith. And then God credits to our account the righteousness of Jesus. We didn't earn this. We don't deserve it. He just puts it on our account. And it's by that grace that we live, by the grace we, we you know, are uh, justified and by that grace we stand. So he's, he set that whole thing up. And then in chapter five, at the end of verse two, he says this, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's about one of the most positive verses you could ever find right there. You know what I mean? Look at it. We're talking about rejoicing. We love that. Hope. We need that. The glory of God. What's not to like about this verse? This is amazing verse. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But then he follows it up with a verse, one of those, I did not see that one coming. Are you kidding me? He follows up this incredibly hope-filled, rejoicing, glory of God verse, and he says, and also, you know, not only so, but we also rejoice in, and you'd think he'd say, we also rejoice in the blessings of this whole thing. We also rejoice in the prosperity, the health and the wealth that we have. We also rejoice in all the good fortune that has come our way since we've given our heart to Christ. This is not so only, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Our sufferings. Now, Paul, who's writing this to this church that he didn't plant, he's never visited yet, who's gone through his own amount of sufferings, he writes them. These are the Romans. They live in Rome. Many of them have already suffered for their faith. When Claudius was emperor, he expelled all of the all of the Jewish or all the Christians uh, out of uh, and the Jews out of Rome. He said, "You must leave." That's you know the whole uh, Priscilla and Aquila story. They had to leave their homes. They had to leave their livelihoods. They had to leave all of it. And I wonder how many times they would come back to these verses because in just a few short years, Nero would blame the Christians for the fires in Rome. 
and set off a wave of persecution that would completely scatter Christianity out of Rome. They would suffer. And yet Paul says, we rejoice in in our suffering. How can that be? Because the hope of the glory of God, this believed in future, the certainty of that has the power to change how we live right here and now in our circumstances, in our situation, and in our suffering. That it's this life-shaping certainty of a believed in future, the hope of the glory of God. And what is part of the hope of the glory of God? What is he even talking about? What, what is this hope that would allow them to even, even to rejoice in the midst of suffering? And I think part of it is that God can and will redeem anything. That God can take anything, no matter how bad, and redeem it. I think it was Rick Warren who said, God never wastes a hurt. Like, whatever we go through, whatever suffering, pain, loss, difficulty, trial, God can use that, leverage that, and redeem it for our good to help others and for his glory. He's just capable of doing that. I mean, the story of Joseph, case in point. Here's this guy, young man with these dreams, literally. He's got this father who shows favoritism, a little bit overly protective. He's a part of a blended family, which has all kinds of issues. He's got these half-brothers that hate him. They're jealous of him. He's treated with injustice, unfair. He's He's thrown into prison as an innocent man. He's, he's, uh, his whole life is taken from him as a slave, all of this stuff. At the end of the story, when, when he could just be filled with bitterness and anger, when he's reunited with his brothers, he says to them these incredible words, you know, <laughs> what you did, you meant, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. God used it to, to do incredible things. You're trying to bring about bad, but God in his goodness is able to transform that and make it a good thing. And what does Paul say uh, in just a few chapters from where we're looking today? That we know that God is, is able, he's able to make all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's part of this hope of glory that God is able to do these kind of things. In Psalm 130, read these words. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. And we could say, well, that, that's talking about the re- full redemption of our soul. Yes, absolutely. But could it not also be the full redemption of our lives? The full redemption of our circumstances? The full redemption of our, our loss and our suffering and our pain? To put our hope in the one who is able to redeem all things and to bring about good. And then Paul goes into kind of this, this chain reaction, and he talks about how God can, can use even the suffering to bring about hope in our lives. The very thing that threatens to take hope from us can be used by God if we determine and allow it to, to actually produce hope. So as we rejoice in our suffering, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. 
Now, let's just look at this word. Perseverance is something we admire in other people a lot. You see someone who's gone through some difficult thing. You see a, a single mom who put herself through college and worked two jobs and made a career and, and took care of her kids. You see this perseverance. It was not easy. We just admire that. You see someone who's gone through incredible setbacks or difficulties and upbringing that was in a horrible home and yet they just persevered. See someone who's, you know, whatever it might be, we admire that in others. And we aspire to that in our own lives. I mean, we want to be able to, to face hardships and continue on with a, a stick-to-itiveness, a, a never-say-quit type of deal. This is something we desperately want in our children. We, we don't want our children to come up against a little a little hardship, a little trial, and just say, oh, I can't do it, and quit. We want our kids to say, no, I, I will continue. I will persevere through. I'll push through, and I'll do this. And he says, the suffering, the difficulties, the rocky mountains that we face, as we continue on, it produces within us this perseverance. And not just that, he goes even further. He says, in perseverance produces character. Um, did any of you have parents who used the phrase when there was something that you didn't want to do, something that was difficult, they said it builds character? Any of you at all hear, hear that one? Yeah, builds character. It's like that's the default line for a parent for any time they don't have a good excuse. They don't have a good reason. They don't have a good argument. They just said it builds character. You can just use that anytime. Why am I doing this? It builds character. How does eating Brussels sprouts build character? It builds character. It, you know, it's kind of like, it's in that same category of puts hair on your chest. Which that line never worked with my girls. When I tried to motivate them with that, it just didn't work. You know, it just, it just builds character, builds character. And that's where you pull out Kelly Clarkson. Sing to us, Kelly. You know, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Stand a little taller. That's good. Maybe he's talking more about, not so much about putting hair in your chest and building that kind of character. Maybe he's talking about a deep, rich, God-honoring fabric of your soul character. Becoming more like Christ, the character of Christ being developed within us. And throughout Scripture, there's this picture of the refining fire that burns away dross, of the pruning away that makes us more fruitful. And he says, and the suffering and the perseverance, it can be used by God to bring about this God-honoring character in our life, to make us more like Christ. I mean, isn't this what James says? I mean, you just want to kick James for, for writing these words. When he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, lacking nothing. This is about growing up in Christ, about becoming more like Christ, about maturing in our faith, and that God uses some of these things. It's the process of transformation that changes us from who we are, where we are, to what God wants us to be, who he wants us to be, more like Jesus Christ. And so he says, so we, we rejoice in our suffering because it brings about perseverance, and perseverance brings about character, and then he comes full circle to where we started, and he says, and character produces hope, the very thing we're after. And hope does not disappoint us. 
that as God continues to do his work within us, as we determine to be hope-filled, he will use these things, and it will determine our outcome, which is even greater hope, and that hope does not disappoint us. We're not talking about what we hope for. We're talking about who we hope in. Jesus will never disappoint us. Now, let's just be honest. Because some of you might be saying, well, Bob, you, you just don't know. I mean, that, that all sounds good for you and others in this room, but you don't know my loss. You don't know what, what I've gone through. You don't know how bad my situation was. You don't know how rough my upbringing was. You don't know the kind of parents I had. You don't know how difficult my marriage is. You don't know the disappointment and the dreams that have been crushed for me. You don't know the health conditions that we're facing. You don't know what we're dealing with with our children. You don't know all the suffering, all the pain, all the loss, all the trials. You don't know the mountain range that I'm up against, which is absolutely true. I don't know. I don't know how deep your scars are. I don't know how, how great your despair is. But this I do know, that our circumstances do not determine our hope. And this I do know, that we can choose who we put our hope in even in these darkest times. And that will determine how we will face, how we will view, how we will respond to whatever trials we face. There's a lady in our church, Karen Mullen, who agreed to share a, a portion of her story. And I wonder if you'd watch this this morning. My story started in the year 2000, and that year I turned 40, and then that summer we found out that we were pregnant with our fourth child. It was 11 years after the last one, and a couple years after a certain surgery, so we were totally, totally shocked, but also delighted because it was like this was not a goof or a slip up, this was an act of God. But then exactly six weeks after that happened, my husband had a heart attack while he was working out at the Y, and he actually died at the Y, and, but they revived him. And then they got him in the ambulance and he died again and they revived him again and then took him to the hospital and he died in the emergency room and one more time they revived him. The thought then was like, well, you get a good cardiologist and you know, we'll have some work. I thought everything was gonna be all right. But that night as I sat beside him, I was praying and I was asking God to talk to me, to give me a word. And what I really had wanted to hear was, he's gonna be fine, or, it's gonna be okay, or something like that. But no, the message instead I got was trust. Trust, what is that supposed to mean? And I didn't like that, because that sounded scary, like I was gonna to have to lean on him and trust in him because things weren't gonna go the way I had planned. I did have to trust because they were not able to bring him out of the coma and then they checked on him to find out what was going on and he was completely brain dead. What should have begun a season of trust actually ended up being a season of anger for me because I didn't want to trust God. I really had this illusion that we were supposed to have this protected life. Even though I was angry at God, I still kept going to church 
because I, I really felt like my kids needed to be there. During that time, I, um, I was seeing Pastor Randy and getting help counseling from him. And one time he said to me, Karen, your problem is that Leo was your anchor. You need a new anchor. I came up with a prayer that I could handle, and that was, help me to want to want you. And that's how I started. And it came, it happened. I started feeling a desire in my heart. I started wanting him. There was one verse that helped me through that time, Psalm 27:13. I would have despaired had I not believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to see that goodness about a year later, Pastor Randy asked me if I would be willing to lead a grief support group. So I've been leading Grief Share off and on since then. And although it's incredibly tough, there's others that have walked the road and they're there to, to help you along the path. It's really amazing. This month is the 17th anniversary of Leo's death. And we were married for 17 years, so it's, it's a pretty significant time for me. Looking back, I'm amazed at what the Lord has done in our lives. And I love my life. I love my home and I love my kids. I love my work, all my friends, my church. He's given me so much. He's given me such a full life. I'm so grateful to him. And I know that things can still happen. I realize that and I get that, but I know who holds the future and I put my hope in him. I know who holds the future certainty and I put my hope in him so Paul says you know we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and yet even in our sufferings because it develops perseverance it refines our character and ultimately makes us people that are overflowing with hope and hope does not disappoint. And then he comes to this at the very end and he says, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. See, I don't have answers to the question why. And I don't even have an answer to your question of how long and I may not have a very satisfying answer to the question, to what end? What's the purpose of all this? But this I know, and this you can know with absolute certainty. It's the assurance of God's love. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you that no matter how deep the valley, no matter how dark the night, no matter how cold the season, no matter what the loss, the pain, the trial, the suffering, nothing, no thing, no condition, no circumstance, no loss, no season can separate you from the love of God. While the world may be crashing around, outwardly wasting away, yet inwardly we're renewed day by day because God's love is unfailing. Karen mentioned this out of Psalm 27. It says, I'm still confident of this. 
I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm confident in this. I hold on to this. That there is an almighty God. And he is at work even in a fallen world. Even in difficult circumstances. And he can bring about goodness and joy and purpose and life and hope. Even in the midst of all this. And then the psalmist ends with kind of this, this so then, this exhortation. Do this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. That's the determination of hope. That's this almost stubborn, steely resoluteness, this resolve that I will hold on unwavering with tenacity of the one that I put my hope in. And as I do that, that will determine how I face and respond to the difficulties in this world. See, the truth is right now for some of you, some of you come in here today with a deep, deep sense of disappointment because what you hoped for has, has failed you. Some of you come in here with a deep sense of loss. But Christian hope says that there will come a day, and it may not be today, and it may not be tomorrow, and it may not be this year, but there will be a day when the God of hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the anchor of our hope, will set all things right, and every tear will be wiped away, and every sorrow and every suffering and every loss will be redeemed. And it's the certainty of that believed in future that shapes how we live our life today. I'm going to ask as we close today, if you would just bow your head. Because I want to give you just a moment with just, just you and God. And maybe for some of you, you're in one of those seasons when you're tempted to just quit, just to give up. You can tell God that. He knows already. And maybe in this moment, you need to just come to God with the area of where you need to hope the most. And maybe, maybe you have a version of the prayer that Karen prayed. Lord, help me to even want to want you. Or maybe the prayer is, help me to want to have the determination of hope. Or maybe the prayers help me to cling to your hope. That I would have a purposeful resolve, unswerving, unwavering, unshakable hope in you. Just a moment, you and God. Father, we are thankful that you are the God of hope and that you have given us your Holy Spirit and by your power 
We can look to our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the anchor, the hope of our soul. And your desire for us is to be people that overflow with hope. So may we have the determination of hope. May we continue to walk in the truth that your love is an unfailing love. And no matter what we face, you know, you see, you care, you love us. And you can redeem this. May we trust in you with that hope and walk as people of hope. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I just want to mention that for some of you who may be going through some, a season of grief and loss, Karen mentioned the, the grief share that she leads that's available to us. There's also in your link the story of survive, a, a, a class of surviving the holidays. Uh, we also have some resources available for you. And I also want to encourage you on Wednesday night to be here as we together uh, lift up the name of Jesus and take communion together as we are a community of hope. God bless you. Live in the hope of uh, the glory of God every single day. Have a great afternoon. You're out of here. I love you.